Some gods may cross your path, but why should gods be beautiful? They could also be frightening. Jean Moreau. Hello, 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 and welcome to yet another episode of Felonious Pundits. I'm Kentad Svensgard, and along with me, as per usual, please say hello to Mr. AJ Mass. Hello, hello, hello. We've got the felonious of punditry here. That's right. The P Funk, the P Felonious. <laughs> Oh, uh, we need the funk. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, uh, this is a podcast about the television program Criminal Minds. Each week we recap and take an in-depth look at an episode of the show. I have never seen this show before, so I'm giving you that first view perspective. And meanwhile, AJ has seen the show each and every episode plenty of times, and he is our grizzled veteran, and he will be giving you that perspective. Grizzled veteran, my friend. This week, we are discussing Season 3, Episode 18 of Criminal Minds, entitled The Crossing. Yes, indeed. Yeah, and uh, it was written by uh, Erica Messer and Deborah J. Fisher. I feel like I haven't had luck with their episodes thus far, maybe one or two okay ones. But when I saw that they were the writers, I had to get my mind prepared for it. Yeah, I, I think uh, I think uh, a little bit of redemption, a little bit. We shall see, shan't we? Shan't we? Uh, also, <laughs> this episode was directed by Guy Norman B, and it originally aired on May seventh, two thousand eight. Why don't we just uh, get into it? Yeah, I just have laughing. Guy Norman B sounds like a made-up character that David Faustino would have played as Bud Bud Bundy. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, that's a deep cut there. But <laughs> hey, I'm the grizzled veteran. I gotta go deep. <laughs> so, uh, AJ, we start this uh, episode, and we're at a dry cleaners in Silver Spring, Maryland. And I gotta say, this dry cleaners must be extremely popular because I've never seen a dry cleaner with a line okay. going out the door. <laughs> Thank you very much, because that is my first question of this episode. Right out the gate, what are they putting in the starch? <laughs> Holy uh, I've never, no, I have never in my life seen a line at a dry cleaners <laughs> this long. And, uh, yeah, the poor woman at the, at the working at the dry cleaner doesn't have time to wait on uh, the particular lady she's waiting on to get her ticket. But this woman, for some reason, seems hesitant to say her phone number out loud. But she he finally does after looking around to uh, so that she can get her clothes. And then we follow this same woman elsewhere. We see her next at a, a drugstore picking up a prescription. And again, her behavior here is kind of odd as she's like talking with the lady to get her prescription. And, and there's some mix up with the name. And I'm, I'm just wondering what's really going on here. But we do hear her name. It's Carrie Dersmond. And we follow Carrie as she arrives at home. And she sees um, flower or rose on her doorstep. 
It has an envelope with it, and she opens the envelope, and there's a letter in there written to her. And then we see a picture of someone's bicep. Basically, none of the none of the rest of the person, just a bicep. And Carrie drops the letter. She's frightened, clearly. She runs back to her car. We hear a little scary music in the background. And she calls someone on her phone and says, he's back. He's found me again. Yeah, now I will say this opening sequence is pretty good at just presenting to us the fact that all of our own personal contact information is thrown out there by everybody. You cannot keep your identity a secret because just, she's just running chores and it's like, uh, from, 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 from such and such street, can I confirm that's your address? What's your phone uh, number? <laughs> Carrie Dursmond. <laughs> <laughs> But, like, you know, we do offer up our personal information like that all the time. So it, 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 I did like the fact that even though she clearly, I mean, we see she's got a stalker of some sort going on here. Um, it, it's not too out of the line that she would be paranoid as someone with a stalker for all this misery out there. So I thought yeah. it presented it very well. And yeah, it was very well done and efficiently told us pretty much what the whole situation is without having to tell us what the situation is. Right. You don't you don't you don't want to then suddenly like to, you know, five minutes later have have, you know, someone presenting the case to like a stalker. What's that? <laughs> <laughs> so next we cut to uh, see Hotch and Rossi and they're given basically a terrorism seminar to a, a group of law enforcement types. They're finishing up, and as they finish, a woman walks over to them and introduces herself. She's District Attorney Eve Alexander, and it's very clear from how she seems to know exactly who Rossi is and who Hotch is that she isn't actually there for the seminar. She is there to present them with a case. She tells them two days ago a woman named Audrey Henson did this, and she shows them a picture of some shot-up corpse uh, in a bed. Uh, she did this to her husband of 20 years while he was sleeping, and she immediately confessed. And it turns out that her lawyer is working on, guess what, a battered woman syndrome defense. The DA is a little suspicious here because there's never been any kind of domestic violence report. There's no record of her ever being injured and not one witness that saw or suspected any kind of abuse. And this DA seems really confident that she can win the case without them, which made me kind of question why she really needed them in the first place. But she wants the BAU to prove that this woman uh, is lying. That's not normally the type of thing they do to prove something didn't happen. But uh, she feels like they could be very useful uh, with their profiling and show that her profile is not that of a woman who's been battered. Yeah, I mean... It's it's a bit odd, but, uh, you know, hey, uh, they're in town. They're the BAU. If they agree to help, you know, let's let's defeat the argument before we even get to court. And, you know, maybe she can save the state a few dollars. Right. And uh, Hotch asks her, what about has she agreed to talk to us? And the DA is like, yep, she the attorney has agreed to let BAU talk to her. According to their the woman's attorney, she has nothing to hide. And so Hotch is telling the DA, well, what we find might not necessarily help your case. And again, she just sort of confidently says, well, let me worry about that. I I thought she was extremely confident was my note on this DA. <laughs> that, yeah, yeah. That I mean, I'm going to win. But, you know, 
clearly, and I know the BAU, your job is not to come in and help prosecutions prove their cases and interrogate defendants, but really, uh, the writing team for this episode really only has a 27 minutes worth of episodes, so we really need to pad. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes I just wish they'd say that. No, I don't. Uh, So next we go over to the BAU office and Prentice and JJ are there. And they've read some sort of compelling letter that sets up a reason for a visit from the one and only Carrie Dersman from our first uh, scene. And she's arrived there at the office and she wants the BAU's help. Um, She explains that she has a stalker. She started getting these letters two years ago in Atlanta. Then she moved to Maryland about six months ago. Now she's gotten a note here. And the local police aren't helping. Basically, the police are, well, if he does something to you, (laughs) then we can help you. Which uh, sucks, but sounds... Fortunately, that is the way it is. Uh, You know, uh, did you notice who brought uh, Carrie in and escorted her into uh, JJ's office? It's her old friend Anderson. (laughs) Was that Anderson? I didn't... uh, Yes, our old uh, friend Anderson. You know, he he like... uh, Clearly out of the doghouse. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I like I, Anderson will show up like once or twice a season. Just, I just like the fact that he's he's never going to be a character that's get a lot of, of time. But I always love seeing Anderson. <laughs> he lives because there. you know that he's Anderson. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so anyway, she wants to know if they're going to take the case and. JJ at first kind of gives her a non-committal. Well, we're going to present this to the team and we'll let you know what happens. And Carrie looks kind of like pissed off actually <laughs> that that she seems to be getting the runaround here. So she she grabs a pad and starts to write down some names. Uh she says Lou Evans, Ed Dersman, and Ryan Scott and hands this list to JJ who's like, "Well, what is this?" and and Carrie says, "Yeah, those are the people you're going to want to call after you find me dead." I thought that was pretty effective. <laughs> it's good. Yeah. I like, you know, if the police gave me a run around, I'm prepared for this. Um, I'm, I'm pretty tough, but uh, if you're not going to help me, then you can just help, help me at the funeral. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's sad, but it's, it's true. It's true, true, true. Yeah. We then uh, cut over to what I would call lair photo, wall of photos <laughs> um, and some creepy music. Hundreds of pictures, or at least a hundred pictures, there of of Carrie, and they were clearly taken without her knowledge. They look like surveillance photos, or or photos you would take without the person realizing you're taking telephoto lens in effect. <laughs> exactly, and then we see a hand putting up the latest picture, and it's of her coming out of the pharmacy. And then we go to credits. Next, we see JJ and Prentice in the conference room, and they're talking with Morgan and Reed, giving the details of the case. Uh, JJ also explains they can't really wait for Hotch and Rossi to get back from Boston. This woman needs help now. So they <laughs> yeah, give them. The- I, I like this. Where's mom and dad? <laughs> yeah. Still in Boston. <laughs> I like that line. Which one do you think is mom, Rossi? I feel like Rossi is mom and Hotch is dad. Maybe I'm yeah, wrong. <laughs> yeah, because, well, no, because, I mean, Hotch is a dad. 
and Rossi uh, likes to cook. So, I mean, a gender role <laughs> not notwithstanding, you know, <laughs> it, it works. So they give them the details on Carrie, her situation, how she started receiving notes that would describe to her exactly and meticulously what she was doing throughout the day. And uh, Reed is looking at the pictures and he notes how the pictures never show this guy's face. They're uh, just all various different body parts. And the two reasons for this could be either he's trying to protect his identity or perhaps this guy has self-image issues. Prentice says this guy is writing to Carrie about their future together, about having kids and growing old. And this guy believes that Carrie loves him. She just doesn't realize it yet. And Morgan, as per usual, <laughs> wants to know, why is this a BAU case? Even if it is something that's clearly escalating. And yes, this guy did follow her 600 miles and that is unusual and, and shows that he's ramping up. But why is this a BAU case? And uh, JJ is basically like, look, this case is in my hands now. If we do nothing and winds up dead, I'm going to be the one that's going to have to tell her family. And that actually is, seems to be good enough for Morgan, uh, who's just like, OK, let's work it. Hey, 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 and, I'm, just, I'm just checking. I'm just I'm just throwing the <laughs> question out there. <laughs> I am negative Nancy in this room. It is my hat. I will take my negative Nancy hat off now and say, do we have any other cases? Okay, fine. Let's go. <laughs> is Morgan in charge if both if both Rossi and Hotch are gone as they are here? Is he the one that actually makes that decision or is he just... It, it, I don't think we have a fully established hierarchy beyond Hotch is in charge and everyone will defer to the veteran Rossi because he created the damn thing. Um, I, I think uh, they're probably all on equal footing. I would think uh, if any one of them said I ain't going, they ain't going. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So then we cut to uh, see the Boston skyline and Prentice gives us our opening quote. Author Christian Nestle Beauvais once wrote, no man is happy without a delusion of some kind. Delusions are as necessary to our happiness as realities. Yeah, I, 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 I don't know. Yeah. I just, this is just another and another choice. Like, uh, if we've split the team into two cases, <laughs> why is Emily quoting over Boston? She's not in Boston. It's it's small, small quibble, but I quibble. I thought the exact same thing. So now we go over to the Boston Police Department, and Hotch and Rossi are there. They're on the phone with Garcia, and she basically has nothing on Audrey Audrey Henson. There's no records of abuse. The only hospital records they have were from the birth of their second child, Nathan. They had life insurance, but Audrey wasn't even listed as the beneficiary. Uh, their daughter, Sarah, age 19, is. They're curiouser and curiouser. Curiouser and curiouser. I, I just found it curiouser. So there's medical record of the birth of her second child, but not her first child? I'm very confused right. by that. <laughs> Garcia, right. come on, clickety-clack. <laughs> What's happening? What happened with Audrey? I'm sorry, Sarah. Um, <laughs> anyway, we cut to the Silver Spring Police Department back in Maryland, and Reed and Morgan meet the detective there, who is kind of wondering why the big guns, uh, if you will, are out there investigating this case. 
So he's wondering the same thing Morgan was. <laughs> like, uh, why are you here? This is just a simple stocking case. Yeah, it's not serial killer. It's not, it's not, you haven't been invited in and it's not serial killers. What are you doing here? <laughs> yeah. And uh, Reed explains it. And it's actually a nice little explanation about how they like to pro- profile a wide variety of criminal behavior, even stalkers. So it's sort of playing it off, sort of like this is uh, us just working on categorizing any kind of criminal. This is our pro bono neighborhood outreach. We need to slum it every now and then. It's really what he's saying. <laughs> but he wants to be kind. <laughs> and the detective clearly kind of feels bad that they're not able to do anything for Carrie. He, he explains they just don't have the manpower. And Morgan lets him know, hey, you know, that's okay. That's what we're here for, to help you in any way that we can. We then uh, cut over to Prentice and JJ and they are outside of Carrie's office about to go into her, uh, see Herb and Prentice can see that JJ was just having a somewhat difficult conversation with clearly some higher ups. And JJ explains that she has to justify all of her case choices in terms of cost and size and all of that. And it's not always easy. And, you know, especially because they don't have a body here, local PD should, would really be the ones to take care of this. And Prentice agrees that it is crazy that someone actually has to get hurt before they can get help. But she also understands how that can be a strain on the system to send someone here. And JJ basically had a similar case last year. They didn't take the case. And then the next thing you know, this woman got acid thrown in her face. And JJ doesn't really care about the limited resources. She just can't to make that same kind of mistake again. Yeah, I mean, there's clearly something wrong with JJ in general because it just wasn't too long ago when she's like, hey, Hutch, I can make I can make us take any case we want, man. You know, just I know how to do the paperwork. Bring it. I'll, I'll come up with the reasons. Just we'll go. So, you know, when, when you're talking about that confident JJ in here, she's just like, <laughs> something's wrong with our girl. Yeah, she's not herself. Uh, Meanwhile, back at the police department, we see Morgan and Reed and the detective taking a look at the date of the first communication from the stalker, March 21st, 2006, to which Reed immediately says, it was a Tuesday. (laughs) And the detective is looking at him like, "Uh uh-oh, what's what's going on here? (laughs) Reed's going to (laughs) read. Yeah, exactly. But they what they determine is that that date is somehow important to the stalker and they're going to have to figure out why. I didn't really see. You didn't really see what? Really. I mean, yes, it could be important or he could have just put the date on the letter. Um, Yes, but it's the first the first letter. You know, what's what's the importance of that date? It's certainly when you've got nothing to go on. That's certainly what you should start going on, because that's information that he's given you. Why did he give it to you? So um, I'm okay with with that. And quite frankly, it's look, I haven't memorized it, but there, it's not that hard. Like a lot of people know how to do give me a date and I'll tell you what day of the week it was. There's only 17 calendars out there that rotate. So, you know, some people have memorized it and figured it out. So this isn't even an impressive stunt. <laughs> I can't do it. Yeah. But it's not an impressive stunt as far as I'm concerned. Like, oh, you're one of those people who memorize that stuff. OK, great. Uh, to the detective, it was like magic or something. <laughs> the way he looked at Reed, like, damn, son. Uh, <laughs> For my next trick. <laughs> so, 
Next, we go over to Carrie's office and she's in there talking to Prentice and she's telling her that she moved to Maryland, not actually because of the stalker, but because Ryan lives here. Uh, so we take it Ryan is important to her. And that was a name she mentioned before in one of her three names. And also her firm was opening a new office and the Atlanta police also thought, hey, maybe it is a good idea if you relocate. <laughs> Atlanta, man. <laughs> Look, look, we got a lot of cases here. Why don't you take your case somewhere else? Yeah, Maybe it'll go away. Move. And if not, no longer <laughs> a problem. <laughs> so they uh, asked Carrie to make a list basically of everyone she knows. Acquaintances, ex-boyfriends, any indiscretions. Nothing is insignificant. Carrie said, you know, if I knew what it was that made this guy obsessed, I would stop doing it right away. And they basically tell her they don't have any way of knowing at this point what this guy's fantasy is. All of a sudden, Carrie gets a call. It's from Ryan. And he says it's an emergency. So she takes it and she then lets them know another card uh, and a box was found at their door. So Prentice tells her to tell him not to touch it. They're on their way. Yes, indeed. And and we we do learn that, that Carrie's some sort of big wig because she's got her own... Uh, secretary out there who like comes in and says ryan is on the phone he says it's an emergency sorry to bother you like like it's like so she's got she's got very high status which is which is cool because uh you know it's not this isn't just some waitress or you know some lower level employee who's like "Ah, like she's she's a person who's in a position so like i I do like seeing that they put a it's not just the high risk victims or you know anyone can be affected by this it's nice to show it Definitely. Uh, We go back to the police department and Morgan is noting every Tuesday does happen to be uh, the day that Carrie's firm has a staff meeting. And that's been catered by a lot of different restaurants. So maybe they have something to look at there. And Reed, meanwhile, is looking at the pictures and he's noticing that there's a difference between the pictures from Atlanta and the ones from Maryland. Uh, As time has gone on, this guy... His muscles are getting more defined. His body's getting more toned. And uh, also, his skin is changing color because now uh, he's kind of pasty in the first pictures from Atlanta. But now this guy's clearly rocking good tan. And Reed thinks, you know, this guy's likely improving his appearance, thinking that this is going to be something that will impress Carrie. And Morgan asks uh, what her fiancé looks like. And of course, that's when we cut immediately over to Ryan, her fiance. And I would say he looks like a dude. <laughs> yes, exactly. There's nothing out of the ordinary about him. Uh, looks like a guy who jogs, goes to the gym, works out. Like you said, dude, dude, bro. He's a dude, dude bro. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. He's uh, busy showing... Prentice and JJ, the box that arrived, uh, there's like a gift wrap box. And so they take it carefully and uh, they do open it. And it turns out to be a pair of antique looking earrings. And from the note, it appears that they were this unsub's grandmother's earrings. He clearly wants to make Carrie a part of his family. And this time he sent a picture of the back of his head, which I didn't get why that would be a thing at first, but. They'll explain it in a bit. 
And he also hopes that she will give him a gift soon. And Prentice and JJ will take this evidence back to the station. They'll try to trace where this was mailed from. And they let them know that they're going to have officers driving by to make periodic checks on them. And JJ says, and you have my number in case anything happens. You can call me. And as they leave, Emily and JJ are outside talking. And now they say, wow, this guy's confidence is really increasing. And now he wants something. And what will happen when she isn't able to give him? give it to him yeah i mean it's it's even more scary now because it, it implies a threat uh, i mean it's not it's not overt but like it's like and if you don't give me what i want my attitude might change but i'm not going to tell you what i want or how to get it to me <laughs> <laughs> so we uh go back to boston and there's rossi and hutch they're talking to Audrey's kids. Ugh, this scene. <laughs> These kids, I wanted to like smack them. Uh, I don't believe in that, AJ, but boy, did I want to. These kids were horrible. What was wrong with these kids? What was wrong with these kids? They These were, kids were wonderful, sunshiny, hardworking students. Uh, they, they just, they, they love their father and there's nothing wrong with that. And, uh, that is true. There's nothing. Uh, sweet, sweet children who, yeah, I mean, th- th- this is. <laughs> they oh, are oh. horrible to their mother. Even if, if, you know, your mom, you know, has shot your father. I mean, you still don't talk the way they do did about their mother. They can't believe that she's claiming any kind of abuse. If anything, their wonderful dad was being abused by being married to her. So they kind of ask, well, what what do you mean by that? And the son, Nathan, says, well, she was a bad cook and she couldn't do the laundry right and the house was always filthy and she couldn't even grocery shop without supervision. Like, she'd get all the wrong things and, you know, she just wasn't too bright. And Hotch is like, you mean she was mentally challenged? And Sarah's like, "Uh, no, I mean, she's stupid. And I'm just like, (laughs) Damn, Sarah. And Rossi's even like, damn, hey, this is your mother. And they're like, no, this is the person who killed our dad. And he was so great. Uh- <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, yes, you're right. They, they're allowed to feel a certain way about her for killing their father. Certainly. But yeah, you, you could also tell that if this is how they feel about her, um, you know, we're talking. We're talking about like she claims to be abused and everything. Like, well, certainly he indoctrinated the kids to verbally abuse her and, and didn't put a stop to that. So, I I don't want to blame them because this is all they know. Probably ra- raised in this family where your mom's stupid and be- mom's stupid. Like, okay, well, what do yeah. you expect from them? But yeah. it is horrible. <laughs> yeah, they say that she probably killed their dad because. She- she was just jealous that he loved them more than her. And in fact, he used to even say so all the time. Oh, really? <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, anyway, that was, <laughs> that was awful. the kids. Awful, awful, awful children. We then go back to uh, Carrie's house and she's in there with Ryan. And all of a sudden they can hear from outside their dog Brody and uh, he starts bark- barking. And so Ryan goes over to look out the window and says, "Uh oh, the gate is open. So they run out. And as they're running out there, 
a cop is at their gate. I'm always suspicious of these cops. <laughs> this guy wound up not being, I mean, I guess he wound up being a cop, but I'm always suspicious when you got the cop that's right there for some granted, reason. Granted, granted. I mean, it's it's one thing if if many times in these cases, and we've seen it. We saw it when uh, when Garcia was shot and she went back home where it was like, hi, I'm, I'm the cop so-and-so and I'm going to be sitting out here for four hours. And then and then cop so-and-so, like they, they do a nice job normally of introducing themselves. I am a cop. Do not fear. This guy just like run up. Hey, I'm a cop. Pleased to meet you. Uh, <laughs> certainly yeah. not the stalker. Uh, I happen to be here the moment your gate opened. <laughs> yeah. So and the way, the, and saw the way your he, dog. Yeah. He was just like, I was watching your house from my car out there, the squad car. I'm all by myself. I don't have a partner, which is also weird. Uh, I saw your dog run that way down the street. And rather than run after him, I'm running here to tell you I'm running after them. <laughs> yeah. And you should go back inside the house and lock the door. And Ryan points out that, you know, this gate had to be opened from the inside. So somebody climbed the fence. So he didn't see <laughs> the person climbing the fence. He just saw the dog running away. Right. And, and so then, they must have just pulled up, I guess. <laughs> all right, fine. Okay, fine. He just pulled up. He sees the door, the, the gate open. He sees the dog run out. Maybe maybe the uh, the stalker waits a second and watches the cop run and runs off. You know, I, I, I could see that. But Ryan and Carrie go inside. They kind of do like a little, uh, oh, my gosh, I wonder what's going on. Knock, 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 knock. How is the cop back that quickly? <laughs> yeah, it was... He did nothing. He just followed them back to the house and knocked on the door. It, it was that quick. I agree. I, I thought the same thing. It's like, oh, uh, I found his collar on the neighbor's lawn. <laughs> he didn't have time to go look at the neighbor's lawn. No, 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 no. I realize that's all you wrote for the scene, guys. <laughs> the director on site could have could have flushed it out a little bit. Yeah. So next we go over and we're back at our unsubs lair. And he has Brody and he's giving Brody a bone. And he says, I miss her too, Brody. I miss her too. And then we go to a break. So clearly he knows Brody. He know, This guy has been doing his stalking <laughs> very well. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, he's a stalker. Uh, he, it's not like he's been stalking her for a while. We're talking six months. like <laughs> Minimum. We, we know if we believe the anniversary theory, it's a year. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, we uh, come back from our break. We're back at the police station and Morgan has now put up a picture of Ryan. And he notes that the unsub is trying to mirror Ryan because he's got the same haircut as him. And I go, ah, that's why the back of the head. Yeah, I mean, it is. But I mean. Are there that many different haircuts for normal dudes? Like it's it's a, it's a regular. I go to the office. I've cut my hair. It's not like you know. It's not like women who have like you know oh, dye their hair color. Not that men don't dye, but you know like oh he's single white female to her. Like no, it was not like that. He hasn't like suddenly gone page boy haircut from long luxurious hair to <laughs> haircut. We didn't see his face before. How do we know he changed? Maybe that's always been his hair. Yeah, if if they had the uh, Will from Stranger Things haircut, maybe we would. Right, like, <laughs> well, you know, there was something unique about it. It was like, oh, he cut his hair like every dude on the street. Okay. But, yes, okay, <laughs> fine. I'll go with it. It does make sense that a stalker sees that she's interested in this guy's fiancé or, you know, okay, sure. 
he could try to look more like this guy because that's clearly what she likes. And so uh, the, the local detective is still there also. He's kind of scoffing at the idea of this dog napping being important. But Reed and Morgan are pointing out, yo, this guy is clearly escalating. And uh, they did have Carrie put flyers up for the dog because the unsub may try to return the dog. But also he may not. He may see the threat dog as a threat if, if Carrie loves the dog more than him or something like that. And if that's the case, uh, their boy Ryan may also be in a little bit of danger if this guy is out there eliminating his competition. Yeah, it's it's it, they're trying to have their cake and eat it too a little bit, where it's like, well, the dog, you know, I don't think the dog napping is all that serious. Like, okay, but again, the calls are coming from inside the house. The, the lab had to be done from inside. So, <laughs> you know, you know it's serious. You have a guy, a cop there. It's just a little, little odd. Indeed. We uh, next cut to uh, JJ and Prentice, and they're talking to Ryan and Carrie and telling them everything that's been going on. And they also think that if this guy feels like he's going to lose Carrie, he may do something to hurt her. They warn her. Uh, this was kind of weird to me, but, and I get why they had to do it, but I, I, the, the timing of this seemed kind of weird. But it was important that we see this, that <laughs> if there is a worst case scenario that happens is that he'll get Carrie alone. And then if he does and gets her, it's important that she needs to go along with any and all of his delusions. She needs to tell him she loves him. She needs to do whatever she can to gain this guy's trust. And then if and when he lets his guard down, then she can make her move. Yeah. Obviously, they don't want it to come to that. Yeah, they want her to play <laughs> along within reason. Um, yeah, I, again, like I said, it's it's good advice. Uh, I, it could have been presented a little cleaner. Like, you know, like, okay, look, clearly he's made an advance towards your house. He let the dog loose. He might end up in your house next time. Here's here's what you need to do if that happens. If you're alone and he comes in, like it, it could have been presented a little neater, but it, it, yeah. Like she, he's going to come in and kill him. All right, calm down, calm down. He's a stalker, stalker mentality. Yeah. You know, this is normally where it would be presented that way. Like, you know, his stalker mentality. Mine means this. So uh, yeah, I'll give him, I'll give him a, a, a B for the writing on this one. And I'm just, I'm also like, all right, now that he's escalated and done the dog thing, what do you mean if she's alone? If I'm her fiance, I'm not going to be leaving her side. I'm sorry. I'm not going to like go casually continue my day. At least a couple of days, I will be like, you know what? We are not splitting up. Uh, granted, but also <laughs> we just had a scene where he might do something to try and take Ryan out. So even if he's just going to the to the supermarket, the cops are, you know, she's in the house. There's two cops outside. I'm going to run to the supermarket, grab the stuff, come back. You know, the unsub does something in that interim. She's alone. So it, it could happen. Again, worst case scenario. <laughs> yes. It certainly is uh, not going to happen. Of course not. There, there would be no way they could set that up or no. anything, AJ. Worst case scenario. <laughs> Next, we go over to Rossi and Hotch, and they're uh, at the Audrey Henson crime scene. And... The house that these kids said was filthy. AJ, it's spotless. <laughs> you go in the closet. The suits are 
equidistantly, like everything is hanging perfectly. Everything is, it is, the house is immaculate, basically. And, oh, she left a bloody mattress, though. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. The couple's bed was actually two separate mattresses, so they didn't sleep on the same, I mean, side by side, not one on top of the other. It was <laughs> side by side, yes, like yes. twin twin mattresses. So that's not exactly something that would cry out, oh, what an in- intimate relationship these people had. And they'd note that there was the gun rack where she passed the, the, the 12-gauge murder weapon every single day. And it's clear that the kids obviously have adopted their father's skewed perspective of their mother, they say. Think something's missing. They're trying to figure it out. And Hotch sort of stands there and goes, ah, looks at the angle. Uh, basically, he figures out that there should be a lot more blood around. So someone has obviously come here and cleaned up. And I did notice as as Rachi, Rossi looked at Hotch, there was a picture on the wall behind him of the family. We'd seen another picture of the family, but on the one on the wall behind him, the mother is not even in the picture. It's just the father and the two kids. Yeah, that was interesting. Yeah, well, you know, why, why, why uh, celebrate their biggest shame? Yeah, <laughs> this horrible, 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 pathetic woman. She can't cook. She can't clean. <laughs> yeah, I gotta I tell just, you, uh, I, I I am very tempted to uh, ha- hire her as my private chef because if <laughs> if she can't cook the way she can't clean, I want to try that food. <laughs> <laughs> Word up. We then uh, next cut to a very basic and might I even say boring profile scene uh, back at the Silver Spring Police Department. Reed and Morgan are telling the cops everything we've already detailed so far. The only thing slightly new, the only slightly new information we get was that this guy is, uh, since he's writing instead of uh, making phone calls, he might be afraid of how he sounds. Maybe he sounds less educated or maybe he has something like a speech impediment. And again, they point out the March 21st date says maybe it was the first time that he saw her at the bank or the movies or any um, infinite number of possibilities. Or the disco dry cleaners. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and But at some point, their paths crossed. Is that oh, ding ding? Ooh, Did we ooh, get a... Ooh. No, no, no. No, it no. didn't really seem to fit. It, it was an effort, but no, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. At any point, their their paths may have crossed somewhere in Atlanta and then he even followed her here. And if it feels, if he feels at any point like she's turned on him, things are likely to get violent. Again, almost everything they say we've basically already mapped out during the episode. Yeah, and I wouldn't mind it so much. This this goes to the to the fact that we got the two cases and they're kind of smooshed together here. But like, if this was coming out of a break, halfway through, that's I don't I don't begrudge a show thinking that all right, it's you know it's. It's 9.30. Maybe someone just changed the channel and put it on. We have to watch something else. Catch you up on the case. This is a guy who's obsessive. And he's, bah, 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 let's go. I, I wouldn't mind that. But this this is not that. <laughs> Agreed. So now we go back to Hotch and Rossi. And he's basically Hotch is talking on the phone. I'm assuming he's talking with JJ because he's hearing about the details of the stalker case. 
And then he's telling whoever he's talking to that they'll be back tomorrow. And he wants the rest of them back in the office as well uh, at that point. So I'm going to say that was J.J. Yeah, it was probably J.J. (laughs) It might have been J.J. Filderman or very well could have been any any of them. But I do like the fact that he's like, like, no, 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 it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. We don't get anything else. (laughs) But we will tomorrow. (laughs) Yeah. Don't waste your time on this. But yeah, you're, you're already there. We're not there. Nothing going on. Cool. Go. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Could have so, asked me first. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> right. There was a little subtext there. <laughs> and uh, so after that, Hutch is looking at a picture of the Henson family and he's saying they all look pretty happy. And Rossi uh, chimes in with, well, happiness is easy to fake when you only have a split second. <laughs> and he says, uh, you should have seen how many happy looking photos I've had with my exes. So we get a nice little bit of conversation here where we learn a little more about Rossi, I feel. And uh, apparently Rossi has had several previous marriages and Hotch uh, asks, you know, what, what was the deal with that? And Rossi is basically saying that him and marriage weren't a particularly good mix. And then he says, well, I, you know, I might've tried harder if there was children involved, which is like, come on, Rossi, you know what this guy is going through. Open mouth, insert like, foot. I mean, yeah, Hotch felt that one right, that slap right across the face. Yeah, Hotch obviously looks hurt by it, and Rossi tries to, you know, walk out, kind of back his way out of it. But Hotch starts to explain, you know what, I gave everything to Haley and to Jack and to this job. And Rossi's like, well, yeah, something had to give. Hotch says, yeah, but that doesn't mean he was anything anything less than committed to his son. And Rossi's like, hey, what do I know? The only people I've made happy are divorce, divorce lawyers. Ha, 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 ha. Hotch says, you know what? We have failed for four failed marriages between us, which I guess means Hot, Rossi's had three divorces, <laughs> if I'm counting correctly. There you go. And... Anyway, it was an interesting scene between the two. Nice little bit of character development. And and that's that's what this writing team does very well. The character development in their episodes always top notch. I just feel that the casework kind of fails a little bit uh, in this. Although, like you know, it's it's really just because there's only ha- they're doing two half hours and shoving them together. Actually, I think the cases individually are fine. I just feel we jumping back and forth, so I don't feel enough flow. We then uh, go to see Garcia. She's talking with JJ, and she's going through Carrie's personal life, her files, and she feels kind of icky about it. Like, it's strange to be doing this for someone who's alive compared to her most of the time doing that for someone that's, that's someone dead. Someone who's alive, someone who's nice and isn't the unsub. <laughs> like, right. Yeah. She didn't get much, but she has been able to clickety-clack the fact that even though she has one of the best primary care doctors in Atlanta, for some reason she's gone to this particular clinic for three times. And uh, JJ seems to know what that means. She goes over to Carrie to ask her about it. And Carrie is clearly not happy to tell them about it. But Prentice is like, come on, we need you know anything you could tell us can't be holding back here so she starts to tell them that the fact that she was pregnant she was not ready to have the time the baby at the time 
So dot, dot, dot. We take it from there that she went to the clinic to take care of that situation. So dot, dot, dot. She had to have the baby because Roe v. Wade don't exist no more. Boop, 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 boop. <laughs> oh, Lordy. Boy, you, know, I, I, you I wouldn't have thought that this would be the thing that dates this episode. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Oh. How sadly correct you are. Oh, man. <laughs> but guess what? Else is unfortunate, AJ. Uh, um, stay um, on the abortion. <laughs> <laughs> yes, JJ is clearly trying to get Carrie to stop talking because Ryan is actually back. I think he has like a bag of Chinese food or something. He was out, but he's come back and uh, he's managed to hear this entire conversation. And he starts talk to Carrie. He's like, oh, how could you? You know, I would have stopped everything to raise a kid. And Carrie, Carrie's like, you know, that's what I was afraid of. And and he's like, I thought you wanted kids, et cetera, et cetera. She's pleading with him for a moment, but then he's like, oh, I gotta go. Yeah. I, they, they also, he also said the cliche line, which is like, were you ever gonna tell me? No, no, she wasn't. Yes, <laughs> she clearly wasn't. No, dude, and that's that's why you're upset. But no, no, she was never gonna tell you. <laughs> yeah, frankly, they had to get a way to split them up. <laughs> yeah, it's how I felt. Especially because, like you said, how is this worst case scenario ever gonna happen? I would never leave her alone for a single set. Well, yeah, now you now you we've finagled the way for him to be justified quotes 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 in leaving right. he, he didn't leave her alone he she still got jj and francis there but yeah i get it yeah. i get it you know you could tell that this this is gonna get him upset for a while but they love if they love each other they'll go back together you know it'll pass yeah yeah so uh he leaves but when he goes outside he finds that his windshield has been bashed in and he's like standing there going, ah, damn it. And as he's doing that, pan the camera over to our creepy looking unsub <laughs> in the bushes with an evil looking, I don't know, Freddy Krueger uh, smile, a grin on his face. Uh, <laughs> mine, mine, fly, wicked monkeys, fly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, it was quite a, quite an interesting look. And so then we... Uh, Come back from a break and we're at back at the police station. I feel like we're going just back to the police it's, station. It's a lot of time. back and forth. Yeah, like I said, they, <laughs> they they needed half as much, twice as many scenes for this <laughs> case. They don't have yeah. And uh, JJ is saying apparently Ryan took about $500 of damage to his car. Prentice is kind of looking at JJ and she's like, why are you taking this case so hard? Because Prentice can tell something is clearly off with JJ, as we all can. She's a profiler. And <laughs> yeah, exactly. And JJ basically feels like Carrie has had her life turned upside down for the past two years. Now it feels like they've come in and torn it up more. JJ feels like the BAU team has violated her too. But still, they had to ask what was happening. Okay, yes. At, no question. However, I mean, what did JJ just go through? You know, like it's like my private life. I don't want anyone in my team knowing my private life. My private life is my private life, and I don't feel like, right. okay. Finally, I'll open up a little bit here, and uh, I can see where she's kind of seeing herself here in Carrie a little bit. Like, uh, 
She just wants to live a private life. I, I know what that's like. The wound is still fresh, Kintai. <laughs> <laughs> Man, my gumbo-eating cop. He just... <laughs> He, what was his name again? Uh, La Montagne. La Montagne. William La Montagne. Uh, he's, the wound cuts deep, AJ. <laughs> La Montagne. That so anyway, we cut. <laughs> oh, <laughs> good job. We cut to see Carrie coming out of some shop. It's, I forget. It was Son- Sonia's sundries or something like that. Somebody's yeah, sundries. You know, just something. Something. You know, just again. What dates this episode? She came out and she had bags given to her by the store. <laughs> she didn't have to bring her yeah. own because I don't know what the law is in other places, but in New Jersey, you have to bring your own bags into every store. You are not allowed to get any bags from the stores anymore, even Wawa. Yeah, that's the same here and. Uh, up in New York and also AJ I have to say I forget my bags in the car almost oh. every time I go <laughs> I'm yeah. like, damn it <laughs> I, I just got out of the car I, and I think about it every time why don't you make sure and every time I park and just get out because I'm so anxious to shop <laughs> <laughs> well I would be yeah. anxious to shop too um what I wouldn't be anxious about is coming out of the store and seeing <laughs> looking at me from across the street. And again, she seems until she sees this guy, because she does, like you said, see him across the street until she sees him. She's just coming out of the shop, going about her life again. You know, there's a stalker out there. I don't, I would not be going about my normal life. At least not with, JJ or someone there. <laughs> like some one other person maybe yeah or I would go about my what normal life I understand that you know I'm in public I'm at a I'm at a, a sundry shop so clearly there're gonna be other people in the sundry shop but she is walking out down an alleyway and there's no one in sight in this alleyway besides her yeah don't go into a sundry shop in the middle of it you have to go down an alleyway <laughs> exactly. So she sees the guy across the street and we also see her flashing back to the dry cleaner and she realizes that this dude was also at the dry cleaners, AJ. No, uh, no, grabbed- no. Don't buy it. Don't buy it for a second. I buy it for us at home to, yes. to, because, you know, usually that's the first thing I would do usually is go back and see if I could see these people in the scene. But they showed us the scene. So we know that he was there. Uh, yeah, he's at the dry cleaners. He's at the pharmacy. He's been following her. Great. That's awesome. I don't think she would have noticed this guy at all. Again, he looks just like a dude. Do you remember a dude when you go to the store? Wait, no. Now, I totally get that she's looking across the street. He's staring at her with like this, you know, evil, maniacal grin. <laughs> of course, I get that she's going to go, oh, that's the stalker. That is totally the stalker. For that light bulb to go off, absolutely, because she's on alert. Not, not alert enough to have been thinking about it two seconds ago like you said but i get that she she recognized him and goes that's got to be the stalker especially then when the the bus goes past and poof like kaiser so say he's gone um but yeah i don't buy for a second that she's gonna flash back to the drugstore from you know two three weeks ago ago he was in the line of the drugstore he was in line of the dry cleaners yeah i i agree a hundred percent 
And of course, the storyline is is finally getting kind of exciting. So it's a good time to cut back to Hodge and Rossi now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> ah, momentum? What's that? <laughs> well, we don't want to force any more acceleration. <laughs> Inertia sets in. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, so Hotch and Rossi have made their way to the jail, and they're in an interrogation room talking to Audrey Henson. And she just starts off right off. Yeah, I killed my husband. And uh, they ask her why. And she says, well, it's what I had to do. They ask if he was abusive. And she's like, no, he never was a- abusive. Not even when I probably deserved. <laughs> uh yeah, no, he was he was very patient, and uh, they're kind of looking at each other this whole whole time. And they ask her, "Why did he have to be patient?" And she's like, "Are you kidding? Look at me! I let myself go after Nathan was born. I'm fat, AJ. She's not fat, <laughs> she's not fat. <laughs> at all. Uh, she's so not fat. She's not even fat." <laughs> <laughs> She says, I'm a terrible housekeeper. I'm a terrible cook. Believe me, I needed a husband with a lot of patience. And so Rossi Rossi is asking her if it's true that she never went to any of Nathan's sports or school functions, because that's what Nathan was telling them earlier. And, And if so, why not? And she says, well, she was doing such a terrible job at home. She didn't want to embarrass her kids out in public as well. And Hotch and Rossi just look at each other. Clearly, this woman is speaking words that someone has harangued upon her. She she has basically been in, in a cult, <laughs> a cult of one, uh, one household. Like, yeah, this, she's just sad. It's just a very sad, sad life that this woman has led, clearly. Uh, and yeah. they, they recognize it. We recognize it. So let's go to the other case. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and we do go to Carrie, who has made it all the way back to the police station. And at this point has uh, given a sketch artist the description of the man she saw. And we see that little sketch. And uh, she's telling the team she knew that she saw this guy before. She saw him at the dry cleaners. She remembers seeing him at a restaurant. She wasn't sure where else she should go. See, that so I'd they buy. let her know. That I'd buy at a restaurant where she's sitting there like this guy keeps looking at me. I would buy that. I would not buy the, the, the dry cleaner where she was trying to hide her face and like, nah. Yeah. They tell her that she did the right thing by coming to him. And she says, uh, basically, she needed to hear that. Thank you. And they tell her also that at this point, it seems like he's getting ready to maybe try to talk to you which would be very risky because he's setting himself up for rejection. And as Reed points out, once again, this could cause him to turn violent. Yeah. This was, this was rephrased that very weird too. It's like, it could be very risky for him. (laughs) Like what for him? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) What? Like, but I get it. It's like, you know, he's, he's putting all his eggs into this one moment and he's probably played it over and over to his head for, how long if it doesn't go well yeah he'll snap so jj then leaves she's like okay i'm gonna go get this this picture out to everyone and morgan also notices something's off with jj so he asks prentice if she's okay and emily says well she will be once we get a good lead in the meanwhile 
Carrie has gotten a phone call from Ryan and he's going to leave for a few days. But before he does, he wants to talk things out with her. So she's going to go to the house to meet him. It's fine. Ryan will be there. All safe. Yeah. What could possibly go wrong? I don't need an escort or at least one cop to come with us. Why would I want that? No, dude, look, look. What do you think? The worst case scenario is going to happen? <laughs> but before we can see, see that exciting action, let's go to oh. Boston. <laughs> <laughs> I feel I feel like this Criminal Minds became the French Open. <laughs> and back over the net. And back over the net. And Boston returned. Yeah. And the Silver Spring. And Boston cut over to Boston and the DA from our very first scene who we haven't, or the first scene that was talking to Hotch and Rossi is finally talking to them, asking what they've got. And Rossi starts off like, well, no one ever hit her. The DA is like, yeah, I knew it. (laughs) And then uh, Rossi continues on though. Yet she was profoundly abused. And the DA is kind of like, what? And Hotch explains, what? Like, oh, this is a shock. There's other kinds of abuse. Oh, Come dude, on, this DA. whole scene is awful. Uh, this whole scene is awful. Because yeah, Hot yeah. has to explain. Oh, they all controlled her, and, the, 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 the. and then she goes off on this. Why do men have to always believe that the women are the victims? And I'm just like, why don't we just believe women when they say, "Well, she's not the one saying it. It's her lawyers." Like, oh god, really? Just this. Yeah. And Hotch is basically all he can say is, well, hey, you asked us for our opinion. And Rossi says, look, why don't why don't you uh, come with us? We have another question to ask her. And we thought you might be really interested in seeing that. Yeah. All right. Why didn't you just do this from the beginning? Or Or why didn't you ask it and tell her what she said? And like, hey, isn't that interesting? Yeah. I mean, I. I'm also surprised that the DA woman wasn't listening through like the other side of a window or something because the whole time like, it's not like they can't tell her what they find because like you know she's it's not like she's eavesdropping on the fence so why didn't she hear the whole conversation yeah it's just very very odd so anyway time to go back to Silver Spring Ryan is uh, arriving at the house got a brand new windshield on his car I noticed so Thank good for him that, that's that's <laughs> that's an auto shop that works quickly though I mean that you don't. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe he just, you know, safe light repair, safe light please. <laughs> and he notices across the street there's some dude walking his dog, Brody. What? So he runs, so he runs over there like, hey, that's my dog. And the guy is like, this isn't your dog. <laughs> Ryan leaps at him and starts punching him. <laughs> and I was like, my guy, you should have said it. Well, oh, it is. <laughs> I would like, uh, Anyway, starts punching him, telling him to stay away from Carrie. And Carrie apparently was in the house this whole time because she hears the commotion going on outside. Yeah, yeah, she was closer. So I I just got to say, like, Ryan, man, (laughs) I get that you're you're walking on tenderhooks. And look at this guy walking the dog. This is not the stalker. I know he hasn't seen the sketch yet because he ran off. But you've seen that bicep picture. You've seen the back of the head picture. This is not that guy. It, it just isn't the guy. <laughs> that could have been handled a little better. And my first thought would have been, did he sell my dog or something? Like, like I would have thought, I wonder how this guy got the dog. Not, oh, uh, this is my stalker. Like, it, it's not your dog. Back off. Yeah, it, actually, my dog was dog nap. Like, where, like, 
that's him. Where'd yeah. you where'd you get is it your dog? Like that, you know, yeah, like, did no, you just my, get this dog? No, the guy who told me that guy. Yeah, yeah anyway. So yeah, Carrie hears that commotion and she goes to look out the window and she sees that Ryan is beating this guy up. And uh she turns around, but guess what, AJ? Worst case scenario. Our real, <laughs> worst case scenario. <laughs> our our real unsub is standing there looking at her, and we fade to a break. <laughs> Yeah, he kind of reminds me. Character. <laughs> yeah, he kind of reminds me of uh, Mr. Gold from Once Upon a Time. If you ever watched that series, so we come back and the detective is explaining to JJ. Uh, somebody paid this guy fifty bucks to walk the dog up and down the street and told him to be careful because someone in the neighborhood was kidnapping people's pets. <laughs> So this guy again, again, okay. But did this guy then tell you where to bring the dog back to? Because I don't think that was part of his plan. Yeah, just keep walking him up and down the street. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So uh, Ryan comes out of the house. Apparently, the back door was off its hinges, and he reports Carrie's cell phone was still in the house. So was her wallet. Her purse was on the bed. And Ryan realizes that this guy must have taken Carrie while he was right there. So he's distraught. He leaves. And uh, t- the local <laughs> Not to mention that, Ryan, you're probably going to face charges for assault. Yeah. <laughs> that, that little detail also, yes. And uh, so the detective is just standing there with JJ. And he's like, well, what now? And JJ says, well, he's finally got her and he's not about to let go. So next we cut over to the unsub's lair. Carrie can see all the pictures of herself on the wall. And she remembers her worst case scenario advice that was given to her. So she plays along with him. He asks her if she remembers when she saw him the first time. And she's like, oh, on the 21st. And he seems to be happy that she remembers. (laughs) She remembers his dates. (laughs) He is happy. He's so happy. And uh, she says that he likes his haircut. And he's like, oh, yeah, you didn't like it when it was long. And she says, no, no, no. I'm actually thinking of cutting my hair, too. That was like the wrong way to take that conversation because he immediately snaps at her. No, don't you cut your hair. (laughs) No, you cannot have the (laughs) lashes. And uh, meanwhile, we cut to Garcia, who was doing some furious clickety clacketing. And she says, okay, we're looking for vans in both states. Uh, We don't have any recent transfers of vans from Georgia to Maryland. So she's just going to send them registrations and IDs from both states. And I think it makes me feel like there was a scene cut out somewhere before this where we discussed that this guy was probably in a van. Uh, no, we, we, when the dog walker, no, when the dog walker said that the guy paid him, the guy left in a brown van and we do see that his lair is indeed the back of the brown van. So, okay. I, 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 I I missed that somehow. So it was very, it was very quick and shorthanded. Um, so, you know, he he didn't notice they were, there were Georgia plates or anything. It just, yeah, it came out of brown van and I walked the dog. Okay. Uh, good, good to know because I was like, when did they say it was a man? So 
Yeah, but that, now whole, it makes whole, more sense to me. Absolutely, but even this process is very clunky. It's just a way to get Garcia something else to do, which they didn't really need because you know she'd already helped this case before, and you know she was also helping Hotch and Rossi. She's had work to do, but she's like, I'm going to clickety clack these these vans, and I don't know which state it is, so I'm just going to send you pictures. And I'm like, okay, yeah, you're going to send pictures, but did you see the picture array she sent? Yeah, uh, exactly. I, I don't think that woman is 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 one. We could why'd she send that one? Oh, really? Uh, I don't think that that guy who's clearly not a white male is the guy. Like, you could have narrowed that down a little bit. Yeah, and even so, she she seems to send them a pretty narrowed down set of pictures if she's going off of the filter bands registered in in Georgia or Maine. I think there's more than that one little page of pictures she sent. Yeah, well, it's, it's a one little page. She didn't narrow it down by the, the profile. And also, quite frankly, she's reading off names to them. Here's, here's the process. Gonna, I'm going to read names to you, and you tell me. They have the pictures. Like, look, no, 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 it's not that guy and that guy. That's the guy who looks like it. Like, it, it just, the whole process was weird. Yeah, and I'm not even sure why they – they get her to narrow it down to these three suspects. Like, no, just look at the picture and go, oh, that's, you know, but they narrowed it down to three It's suspects. a sketch, not an actual picture. But so I, I granted, yeah. like, do that. We Look, thank you, Garcia. You sent those. Here's how you write the scene. Garcia, you sent those pictures of the registrations of brown vans? Yeah. Uh, we narrowed it down to these three guys who kind of match the photo. Look up their names. And then you go. <laughs> that would have been so much easier. And so... She does look up their names and they very quickly focus in on Michael Hicks, Mike Hicks. He's an unemployed IT guy who was working for a company called Legal Grind, which performs tech support for law firms. And hey, guess what Carrie is? She's a lawyer. Oh, we saw that when we saw that she had a secretary. They never mentioned what she did, which is really frustrating now. Like, why is the fact yeah. she's a lawyer important now? Just whatever. Yep. So, uh, and, Garcia. And, and, oh, and, now just a quick <laughs> yeah. And if she's a lawyer, if she's a lawyer, she would have been a little bit more, uh, understanding on how to maneuver through the police system. I would think she would have ties with cops. She would have worked with the police before in her cases. Uh, it, it, they shouldn't have made her a lawyer. Make her an architect, and the whole story still works. Or, you know, yeah, just some other business. Tycoon type of woman. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, she runs her own company. That's it. But anyway, so Garcia does clickety-clack up an address in Silver Spring. So the detective says he's going to send a cruiser out that way. And Prentice thinks that this guy wouldn't take her where he wants to go. He, he's trying to make this woman happy. So he'd probably take her someplace where she'd want to go. So she asks Ryan if there was someplace that was special to the both of them. He says, well, uh, I proposed to her on Chesapeake Beach. So we cut back to the interrogation room in Boston. <laughs> of course. Uh, Deuce. And uh, Rossi, Hotch, and DA Alexander are now there. And Hotch is asking Audrey Henson to walk them through the killing. And she does. She explains that she saw her chance to do it when she was hanging up his laundry. We actually see her measuring the space between the hangers uh, 
before she notices him out there sleeping. And she says she saw him on the bed. She knew it. She had to do it then. And Hotch gets to the point of this whole questioning line. So basically, once you did the deed, uh, what did you do? Did you just sort of sit there and wait? And she says, oh, no, I, uh, I had to clean everything up. And so they ask her, oh, why did you have to clean everything up? Was it to hide what you had done? She said, no, 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 no. I did it because the police would be coming and Philip would have been furious if she let all those strangers into the house with a mess like that. And this is all it takes to convince the DA (laughs) who has been like anti against this woman's case this whole time. But this one 30 second conversation has now convinced her that, oh, this woman has definitely been abused. I understand now. So she tells Hotch that she's just going to recommend that they charge this woman with criminally negligent homicide. And by the time this trial is over, She's probably just going to get off with some probation and time served. Yeah, all right. all, all, all the, uh, great, super. Although, quite frankly, between you and me, if that does happen, don't you think the kids are just going to probably offer? <laughs> yeah, those kids. Those kids are off. Although, then again, she, you know, she's not getting any money. Sarah's getting all the money. So, <laughs> yeah. this, poor woman, this poor woman. This poor woman. Yeah. <sighs> she's never going to see those kids again. <laughs> That whole that whole thing was just a horrible situation. I kind of felt like, well, I guess you're right. They were there giving the conference, but I really felt like they weren't necessary to that case at all. <laughs> well, Kentucky, <laughs> th- obviously. They got her out of jail. I, I, yeah. The BAU's job, as we have learned over the years, is to catch serial killers, find Check. kidnapped or missing children, Check. And to consult with district attorneys who want uh, more evidence for their case. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> Those are the big three. <laughs> okay. Now that we've settled that, uh, we go back to Carrie and the unsub. And she's uh, she's continuing to go along and play whatever his game is. And she thanks him uh, so much for, from taking her away, for taking her away. And she's also got some restraints on her hands and hands and uh she, her hands and she uh <laughs> she's asks, not even sure. <laughs> <laughs> she asks him if he can remove them uh now that she's safe in his hands and so he thinks about it and he does cut her free from the uh restraints and, and as he's holding her hands he says oh they're much softer than i remember <laughs> Remember how she got up from her desk and then he sat in her chair and she said, oops. Oops, Uh, she says, oops, oops, this is cute, this is oops, this is. He knew that she felt it too. And then he starts to go in for what I can only say is one of the most awkward kisses ever filmed, (laughs) AJ. Because she's really trying to like do what she's supposed to and go along with him, but at the same time is clearly repulsed by this guy. Uh, yeah, uh, it's, the, it's the combination of she's trying not to vomit and he doesn't know how to kiss a woman. <laughs> yeah, it's just horrible. I mean, they did it right. It's not horrible that they did it wrong. They no, 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 did yes. what this kiss would be. <laughs> it was accurate, but oof. Yeah. <laughs> So uh, to get away from the kiss, she quickly suggests that, hey, it's really stuffy there. 
in the van. Maybe they should get out and go for a walk. And he agrees to do that. And they walk over to like a pier or wharf type of area. <laughs> the Klingons are coming. <laughs> oh, not that kind of wharf. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, I guess this is supposed to be Chesapeake Beach, but it doesn't really look very beachy. I've never been there, so I can't <laughs> claim that, but okay. We'll go with it. They, they, they named the area. They named that's where they're going to go. It looks like it. Yeah, it's like a boardwalky type place. Sure. So Carrie walks him over there and then conveniently, <laughs> in my opinion, walks right to where the FBI are waiting in an ambush. Like there's no like they didn't have this set up. Carrie wasn't didn't have like a thing in her ear. OK, now you're going to go. <laughs> they just no, walk although- right there. They were in that van for a long time. It is possible that they saw the van, uh, you know, were keeping their distance, saying, well, if he gets out, we're in position to, to get them. Let's just, let's just watch him here. You don't want to go into the van because you don't know if they, they'll spook him and he'll shoot her or something. So, you, don't, you know, I, I could see it. At least they told us that Chesapeake Beach was their target destination. Right. <laughs> At least they gave us that. So, yeah, Prentice, they, they, the, the, Cops are all pointing the gun. Stop, freeze, whatever. And uh, Mike, Mike is like, uh, "Don't make me hurt her." And he's got the gun to her head. And Prentice is like, "Hey, Michael, we don't want to even take her away from you." Carrie told us that she wants to be with you. And Carrie is like, "Oh yeah, it's true. I'm so happy now." Hey, but <laughs> kudos for Carrie for picking up yes. what she was putting down. And that's why the pep talk was important, even if it was clunky. Yes. She tells him, look, they think you're going to hurt me. Just put the gun down so we can be together. So he believes her and starts to put the gun back in his pants. And she immediately takes off. (laughs) And Morgan, who has been uh, sneaking up kind of behind this whole time, is able to, of course, leap on to uh, Michael and tackle him. If he can't kick down the door, he got to tackle it on. (laughs) Exactly. So tackles him, cuffs him. They start to take him away, and he's screaming at Carrie, how could you, after everything I've done for us? Well, they can't keep us apart. And meanwhile, uh, Ryan is there. He's come up, and he starts hugging Carrie, uh, and everybody's happy. They mention that, I think it was Reed who says, found his van, and he's got 100 pictures of Carrie, and a letter dated from February 21st, 2006. So that date, the 21st, is what he must have thought as their anniversary date so we've tied up all those loose ends oh goody it's over now (laughs) carrie carrie thanks them for everything and Ah. so finally (laughs) yes we finally cut back to the bau office and as we are here jj gives us our closing quote susan b anthony said a woman must not depend on the protection of man but must be taught to protect herself. Emily then goes over to JJ's office saying everyone's waiting for her. But JJ is like, no, you guys go ahead. I'm not, she's not going out tonight. And Emily's like, Hey, you know, Carrie's going to be okay. And JJ's like, I know. And Emily wants to know what the heck is bugging her because she just seems off. And JJ says, you know what? I'm just tired. So Emily's like, all right, go home and get some sleep. And she leaves. And JJ pulls out a piece of paper, looks at it, and then she gets her phone and she calls somebody. 
I'm thinking it's La Montaigne, but maybe I'm wrong. But she calls somebody. She says, hey, it's me. Got a minute? Yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine. Well, we just really need to talk. I'm pregnant. Exactly. Uh, and <laughs> to black, the show is over. That was it. Yes, JJ is pregger, preggers. Okay, which you know obviously explains a whole bunch of stuff, sort of from the episode. Um, but what? What? She pulled out a piece of paper. <laughs> I, yeah, really? I, I, I guess she took a pregnancy test. Maybe took three pregnancy tests, and then she had time to go to one of those free clinics off the record, secret hush hush, like Carrie. I guess is that what we're trying to believe here? That because she didn't want anyone uh, to know, yeah. which is why she knew what Carrie was doing, and when she found out, uh, I don't know. Uh, okay. Yeah, I could have had just you know her holding on to her stomach and looking at it. And- Oh, I'm fine. Kind of, I'm fine with her making you know. making the call and saying I'm pregnant. Like that, that's fine. Yeah. I just it's just it was the paper from the secret drawer was a little weird. That's all. Yeah, I agree. Well, that was the episode, AJ. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I I think you make a nice point about the writing team, and I I know I've complained about them, and I they actually really do write nice character moments. You I think you pretty much nailed it. They they nail the character moments, but then it's the case itself that they tend to, I think, go off the rails a little bit. <laughs> yeah, you know, Rossi and Hotch had a really nice nice moment together, and it was a, we, we learned something about these people, the whole JJ thing. Okay, we learned something about these people. You know, even just the fact that, yeah, uh, Morgan and Prentice, like, are very well aware that when JJ's off, much like they were aware that she was dating this guy. Like, they, they know each other, their family, they're very well. Like, all that stuff worked. <sighs> Was there a case in Boston? Does that even count for anything? No. Um, you know, checking our barometer to see if if we won. Yeah, because you know, JJ took a case that probably wouldn't have been taken otherwise, and they they saved a woman's life because that stalker was real. So sure, yeah, they won. Was it a hard one? No, this was a layup essentially. But okay, win's a win. We'll take it. Sometimes you got to play the last place team. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. Well, good for them for another win. Season is almost over. Uh, and uh, they're doing pretty well this season. You know. Yeah, like that's a, 11 wins, three losses, four draws. I mean, you know, that's pretty damn good. So, AJ, it's time for three questions. This is a little thing we like to do at the end of each episode. If you've been listening to us by now, you you know what you're in for. If not, you'll see what you're in for. AJ, <laughs> why don't you take it take it away? All right. Question number one. So our uh, our poor, sad, pathetic, battered wife uh, in this episode was played by Mary Margaret Humes. She's probably best known for appearing on 93 episodes of what television show as a local news anchor? Well, you said the name, and it sounded vaguely familiar to me. I don't know why, because if her best role is a, a news anchor on some TV show, I don't know what it could be. 93 episodes, that's a lot of episodes. It is a lot of episodes, yes. To be on. So I got to assume it was a, a long-running show. 
I don't know. So I am going to just say a show that I would assume would often have a newscaster on it that lasted for that long of a time. And I'm going to say, take a guess at the West Wing. The West Wing. Fine guess. Certainly a show that lasted a long time. But no, Kintad, we're continuing our run of Dawson's Creek alums. This is Dawson's mother, Gail Leary. Oh, see, you got me with the newscaster thing. That was her job. She was Cape Side's local news. <laughs> oh, I should have I should have thought of the, the, the two shows that were kind of going with it. Well, there's three. We've got Dawson's Creek. We've got Beverly Hills 90210. And we've got a little bit of Buffy the Vampires. A little bit of Buffy the Vampires. Uh, Absolutely. That, that we've noted on this show. And uh, I should have went with that, and I um, you threw me with the newscaster, even though that was her job, and and that's where I, it's clearly where I heard her name must have been in the credits for that sure. show, but oh, she was regular. I didn't put two and two together. <laughs> yeah. uh, oh, oh, yes. I mean, she she was the cheater in that relationship, though. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Anywho, all right, let, let's let's move on here. Come on, question two, question two. Uh, Jeffrey Pierce, who played Ryan, our intrepid fiancé in this episode. Uh, in 2012, he appeared in several episodes of what NBC show as serial killer Jack Sylvain, who had disappeared from federal prison 50 years prior? 2012. NBC show. How many episodes? You said a number of episodes? I said or? several. I believe it's six, but uh, several. Recurring character. Well, that sounds like it would be a procedural to me. I'm trying to think of what procedurals were on NBC. Or it could be it could be not a procedural. It could be something like... Uh, I'm trying to think of the name of the show that with the guy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the show with the guy about the things. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know, AJ. I'm going to go with uh, Law and Order. (laughs) (laughs) But they don't have long cases on Law and Order, do they? Not usually. Yeah, I'll still go with it because I can't think of anything. All right. Well, Jeffrey Pierce playing serial killer Jack Sylvain, who had disappeared from federal prison 50 years prior. That was the key. It was the premise of the show. That in 1963, a whole bunch of prisoners just vanished. And my boy, Hurley, Hugo Reyes, Jorge Garcia himself, had to track them down on Alcatraz. Never watched it. Dang it. (laughs) Hey, if I get a chance to throw in a Lost reference, I'm going to throw in a Lost reference. Uh, Not a good show. Not a good show. But uh, yeah, so it's time travel involved, sort of, kind of. That was the thing. Well, yeah, because Alcatraz is not really a functioning prison. No, but it, this is what shut it down in, in the 60s, allegedly, uh, is that all the prisoners vanished and they just the government told everybody that they were just relocating them, but they had actually transported 50 years into the future and the serial killers were still killing people. <sighs> I am uh, definitely going to look to see if that's streaming after this. Oh, one season, 13 episodes, <laughs> mid-season replacement. But uh, yes, Jeffrey Pierce, prominent role in the pilot. 
first guy they catch. Uh, anywho. <laughs> <laughs> all right. You know it all comes down to this. This is what we really do this for. Our penultimate episode of season three. Episode 19. What will the plot be of this episode, Kintad? Entitled Tabula Rasa. Tabula Rasa. Is it A? A man dying of a brain tumor confesses to having killed multiple victims all over the West Coast over the last few years. But the BAU have their doubts. Is it B? A woman hypnotized by her psychiatrist during a therapy session, suddenly recalls that her father had been a serial killer back when she was young. But can she trust her memories? Is it C? After a serial killer awakens from a coma, he has no memory of his past. The BAU has to step in to try and help prosecutors figure out if he's faking or not. Or is it D? Colorado cops call in the BAU to help determine if a local businessman is actually a fugitive serial killer who had escaped from a U.S. Marshal years before. Tabula Rasa actually also reminds me of the show Lost. I feel like there was an episode with the same title, but that's neither here nor there and not the job at hand. The job at hand is determining which of these cases is going to be our episode next week. AJ... For no reason at all, I'm going to say it is choice D, the Colorado case. Bet you will have to remind me of the full details. Uh, of to, to Determine if a local businessman is actually a fugitive serial killer who had escaped from U.S. Marshall years before. Even though that sounds like the plot of maybe a couple of other things, maybe that was the plot of the last episode. <laughs> no, uh, I'm going to go with that. Okay. D is your answer and... Kintad, you are 100% correct that a fugitive serial killer who had escaped from a U.S. Marshal years before is the plot of Tabula Rasa on Lost. Yeah. <laughs> That's Kate's backstory. Yeah. Uh, serial killer, maybe not, but she did, you know, have some run-ins with the law and everything. Uh, did some bad things. Uh, so, no, no, that is not what we'll be going. Uh no. A plot involving a brain tumor? Well, that is the plot of the Tabula Rasa episode of Heroes. <laughs> yes. So, no. Yes. Not going to do that one. Uh, there is a Tabula Rasa episode of, of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, but that involved magic uh, and a spell that Willow cast to make everyone forget. So, I, I didn't feel like using that Couldn't one, but I, that. I did want to shout that one out because, yeah. Uh, no, this is going to be... Obviously, Kintad, what is the third most important job that the BAU has to do is to help prosecutors when they figure out whether evidence uh, is yeah. valid or not. A serial killer awakes from a coma. And of course, the number one job of the BAU, as we learned this week, is to go help those prosecutors figure out if they're faking or not. Coma time. That's the third most. That's the number three job. Yes, exactly. It's still a big job. Yes. <laughs> Clearly, because it's two straight weeks now, apparently. Never before, and yet two in a row. Uh, oh, well. Indeed. But no, it's, 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 I think it's a pretty, pretty fun episode. And, uh, I mean, home stretch here of season three, 
uh, you know, I like this episode, you know, even as convoluted as it is, I think it advanced the plot. So, you know, going from Miami to this, to next week and the final one, I, I think we're in a, like I said, we're in, we're in good, good stretch here. So. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you, AJ. And thank you folks for listening. That's the show this week. I hope you had a great time. And like I always say, please be sure to subscribe to rate and review our podcast on your favorite podcast platform and be sure to spread the word and let your friends know about us. You can also write to us, please have something to say. Send (laughs) send us, send us something, any requests. (laughs) Actually, maybe not. Uh, you can write to us at feloniouspundits at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at podcast underscore pundits. For AJ Mass, this is Kentad Svensgaard saying goodbye and keep profiling. Wheels up! I think the very word stalking implies that you're not supposed to like it. Otherwise, it would be called fluffy harmless observation time. Molly Harper.